We are a few weeks now into looking at the life of Jacob, and a little bit of a recap of what we have learned so far. Um, Jacob is the second of the two twins. He comes out grasping the heel of his older brother, and the two of them have been at odds since they were in the womb together. Um, And as they come out, we found out very quickly that Isaac, the father of these twins, prefers Esau, the red, hairy hunter uh, of a man. That's Isaac's favorite. And Rebekah likes Jacob, who is the more domesticated, stays in the tent. Um, That is Jacob. And as we look today, there's going to be this continued battle between these two brothers. And we're going to start in chapter 26, verse 34. So when we pick up our story, this is 40 years after they are born. At this point, Isaac, their father, is around 100 years old. And he believes himself to be nearing the end of his life. So starting in 26, verse 34, we're going to read the entire passage today, up through 28, verse 9. Um, So it's available as a handout, or um, if you want to follow along as we read this together, starting in Genesis 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me, so that I may eat it, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went, and he took them, and he brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and she put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. 
I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether or not you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Esau, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it nearer to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him, and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of the heavens and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be lords over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword shall you live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau her oldest, older son were told to Rebekah. And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. 
Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then, then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women, like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take your wife from one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padanaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there and that he blessed him that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took his wife besides the wi- beside the wives he had. Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We prayed for Christ-centered households, and then we read a passage like this. Not so Christ-centered, not God-centered, but deception-centric, each person trying to get what they want, when they want it, how they want it, by their means, by any means necessary, really. We often read this passage and we see Rebecca and Jacob as the two crafty people that are the ones bringing about the deception. And Isaac and Esau are the dim-sighted, dim-witted victims who are taken advantage of. Um, however, all four people in this passage have some culpability. So that's the name of the sermon this morning, is culpability and consequences. The idea of culpability means that they had a role to play in what happened. They were in some way guilty for everything that transpired. So rather than moving through this text chronologically, I kind of want to evaluate each of the characters. From oldest to youngest, we'll start with Isaac, then Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob. And we'll see what role did each of these characters play, and then what were the consequences that they experienced. And then what does this mean for us? So starting with Isaac. Isaac kind of appears as this dim-sighted man who is on his deathbed. But there's a few things that Isaac has not done that play into everything that's happening. First of all, he does not provide a wife for his son Esau. If you remember, when Isaac turns 40, his father Abraham sends away and brings a wife from his extended family, someone who would fear and know the Lord and be a good companion, not a Canaanite who didn't fear the Lord. When Esau turns 40, Isaac does no such thing for him. Instead, he allows Esau to go and marry not just one, but two Canaanite women. They're called the daughters of Heth, which Heth is where we get Hittite from. So they were Hittite women living in the land of Canaan. So they kind of use all of those terms interchangeably. So if you hear them talk about these Hittites or the women of Canaan, these are Esau's wives. And Isaac takes a passive role. He doesn't go and provide a suitable wife for Esau. 
Um, at the end of the story, even Rebecca has to convince him to send away for an appropriate wife for Jacob. Um, as she mentions, um, she says, what good will my life be to me if Jacob marries one of these Hittites? I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman that Esau has married. For those of you that are old enough to have children that have married, you know what a vital role that a spouse brings. They are now a part of your family. And they can be a wonderful addition to a family, or they can bring you a lot of pain and sadness. And Isaac doesn't provide a bride for Esau, so Esau goes out and finds one that he thinks is suitable. So in Isaac's passivity, he begins to create this tension within the family. Isaac's also a man of passion in that he loves what he loves and nothing can keep him from it. In all of scripture, it mentions just few things that he loves. He loves Rebekah, his wife. He loves Esau, his son. And he loves the food that Esau brings to him. Isaac's command to Esau is very self-centric, self-focused. Even though he's going to bless Esau, he wants Esau to go and bring him his favorite meal. Go and make this something that I will enjoy. Prepare a meal such as I love. Even Rebecca, when she be- begins to prepare food for, Jacob, for Isaac, she says that she is preparing food, a delicious meal, such as Isaac loves. He is a man swayed by his stomach. And this will get him into a little bit of trouble. Along with this, his senses really drive him, but they end up being his downfall. He desires the taste, the deliciousness, but yet, specifically, each and every one of his senses is somehow compromised. The first thing we learn about him is his sight. He can barely see. He is almost blind. With his touch, He can't tell the difference between the goat skin gloves and scarf that Rebecca made for Jacob and the hair of his son Esau. His touch is not able to appropriately discern what he's touching. His hearing is compromised that he thinks he hears the voice of Jacob, but he is not so confident. And so he convinces himself that if everything lines up with this being Esau, then his ears must be deceiving him as well. And he doesn't trust his hearing. Even his smell, it says in verse 27 that he smelled the smell of Jacob and believed it to be Esau. He says, come near and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. And so the smell of the clothes that Jacob was wearing deceives Isaac. And finally, even his taste, this man of refined taste who loves his delicious food, cannot tell the difference between wild game and two young goats. To him, there seems to be no difference, or at least not enough that it means anything to him to to question what is happening. So as a man that is passive in providing for his sons, but yet very active in providing for what he wants and he needs, Isaac determines the course that he loves And he takes it. Even though, in chapter 25, when the twins, before the twins were born, God told Rebekah that the younger would serve the older. But if we look at Isaac's blessing, Isaac attempts to bless Esau 
and say, may your brothers serve you. May you be Lord over your brothers. Isaac is trying to revert the order to get his favorite son in the top position, even though God said Jacob is going to be the one on top and Esau will serve Jacob. His love is pushing him to pursue something apart from what God has said. Because he loves Esau, he wants Esau to be the one that receives the blessing that is continued in the line of Abraham, Isaac. He wants it to be Esau, not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he gives the blessing. The things that he says in the blessing, when he says, Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed is everyone who blesses you, we've heard this before. This is the blessing of Abraham. He is trying to pass the blessing of Abraham on to Esau, trying to go against what God has said. So even though Isaac might look like the dim-sided person that gets taken advantage of, he is actually very forcefully trying to go against what God has said. And as a result, the consequence that he experiences is anguish. It says when he finds out that, that it was Jacob that received the blessing, he trembled violently. His plans were different than God's plan. When his plans didn't work out, it ruined him. Not only did he not get what he wanted in the end, he ends up losing his son and sending Jacob away. Traditionally, whenever we see these blessings happen, the father will bring all of his sons together and will pronounce the predominant blessing on the oldest and then work his way through. But Isaac tries to, in secret, to bestow all of the blessing onto Esau. And so he excludes Jacob from the entire process, doesn't even have any intention of blessing Jacob at all. And his exclusivity ends up being something that drives a wedge between him and his son. In fact, after Isaac sends away Jacob, the two of them are never seen together again in Scripture until Isaac is buried. This is the last time that he will see his son because of the way that he tried to exclude his son. In fact, it doesn't just divide his son away, but the author very intricately writes this passage to show that this family is already broken and divided. It's not a Christ-centered household. It's not a God-centric household. It's a household of schisms and schemes and division, such that in the entire passage, there are never more than two people seen together at the same time. It starts out, Isaac and Esau. Then we get Rebekah and Jacob. Then Isaac and Jacob. Then Isaac and Esau. Then Rebekah and Jacob. Then Isaac and Rebekah. And then Isaac and Jacob again. All these conversations are happening piece by piece here and there. Each person trying to you know, convince somebody to come on their side and to, to do what they want and moving pieces around. There's no unity in this family. It's completely divided. If we had to break down Isaac into to who he is, Isaac is a just-do-it leader. He is a guy that says, just get it done. He acts first and thinks second. And he usually acts first based on what serves him best. He doesn't consult with his wife or with God before trying to give this blessing to Esau. And interestingly enough, he gives, he's, we get this picture like he's on his deathbed, like this guy's about to die. He lives another 40 to 50 years after this. Like, he's not about to die. He is rushing the process along. He's giving a deathbed blessing when he still has half a century to live. 
And even though he has evidence that the person in front of him might not be Esau, he doesn't stop and think through what he's doing. He just goes. He doesn't get further confirmation, doesn't ask Rebecca to come in and say, hey, can you verify that this son I'm about to bless is actually Esau? He just does it. He gets it done. And some of us are like Isaac. We like getting things done. In our haste to get what we want, we don't often slow down and ask what God wants. And sometimes, like Isaac, we're, we get into the danger of assuming that we know what's best. And so it's okay, God, I know you wanted to bless Jacob, but he's not the right one. Esau is the one that should get it. So I'll go ahead and take care of this and I'll get it done. For us, certain personalities, some people are very you know, calculated and slow moves and they have to have everything lined up. Other people are like, hey, let's just get it done. Let's get some motion. Let's move. And you kind of know which camp you fall into. And if you are a person that tends to just like to get things done, sometimes we can fall into the danger of moving ahead of God. We know what we want and we know how to get it or who we can put in place to get the right thing in the right place. Isaac knew who to send to go get the delicious meal that he wanted. And so rather than stopping and asking God what's his will, what's his desire, we're in the danger of just moving ahead. We're going to kind of look at each of these characters and see what is the danger with each of their personalities. And, and one of these will probably sound a little close to home to you. Um, and at the end, then we'll say, what is the right, right way to respond? So I'll leave you hanging a little bit if, you're, if you find yourself like Isaac, the just-get-it-done leader. We'll see at the end how we should respond to God and how we should look at his blessing. But for now, let's move on to Rebecca. Rebecca has a pretty clear part to play in this all. In fact, she's the one that initially devises the scheme, but we can give her a little bit of credit. She knows that Jacob is the one that's supposed to be blessed, and she's just trying to help God out. I mean, after all, God wants Jacob, so she's on God's side in this. Playing devil's advocate a little bit here. Um, She is the most aggressively deceptive character in the entire story. She is the one that moves forward. She plots the scheme and instructs Jacob. She makes the food. In fact, she is quite the gifted helper. She not only helps God, but helps Jacob with every step of the process. She even lays out his clothes for him that he's supposed to wear like a nice mother. She, she has everything in control, and she's helping all along the way. She also does something interesting, if you notice this, something small. But when Isaac talks to Esau and tells him, go get some food, he says, go bring me some food that I may eat and bless you before I die. Now, when Rebecca tells this story to Jacob, She embellishes it a little bit. She said, your father said, go get some food that I may bless you before the Lord, before Yahweh. And she brings God's name into it to put some emphasis behind it to really convince Jacob that this is important. She knows how to convince him to get it done. Her plotting and her scheming always starts out, though, with her ability to find out information. This this strikes me. She's eavesdropping outside the window when this blessing conversation happens And then when after everything happens and Esau is angry and he says, I'm going to kill Jacob, it says that Esau says to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And somehow the words that Esau spoke to himself 
Rebecca finds out. It says the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebecca. She's interconnected on the gossip. She knows everything that's happening. And so she's behind the scenes, figuring out what's going on and helping move things in the right place, the right time. She understands the mantra that information is power. And she is cunning and manipulative, and she finds ways to use the information to further her agenda. And she doesn't even see that she did anything wrong. When it's all said and done, and her plan has been worked to perfection, Esau's angry about to kill Jacob. She goes to Jacob and says, Behold, your brother wants to kill you because of what you have done. It's nothing that Rebecca did. It's now what Jacob has done. It's all on Jacob. She somehow devises this scheme, gets Jacob to go along with it, and shifts all the blame over to Jacob. It's masterful. She has a misplaced intent to help God. And as a consequence, she loses her son forever. After her son gets sent away, she never again sees her favorite son. Her role in this all, trying to help God out, trying to help her son out in a sinful and deceitful way, costs her a relationship with her favorite son. So if Isaac was the get-it-done leader, Rebekah is the well-intentioned helper. She receives a word from the Lord that Jacob is the chosen one, and so she just wants to help God out with this, especially when she sees things that don't seem to be going according to God's plan. If you received an oracle that your son was supposed to be the blessed one, but someone else is going to get this blessing, it makes sense to step in and help out, Right? And that's what she does. She is a diligent worker. In a short period of time, she prepares a meal of goat so that it tastes exactly like wild game somehow. She lays out all of Esau's clothes for Jacob to wear, and she makes goat hair gloves and scarves for her son to wear. I don't even know how that, putting goat hair on the hands and the neck, how she, how she did that or how it looked to convince Isaac that his smooth-skinned son was the hairy Esau. She has good intentions, but ungodly plans. And some of us are like Rebecca. We're helpers at heart. When something doesn't seem to be going according to God's plan, we can't help but help. We desire so badly to bring things to pass that God wants, and so we're willing to do whatever it takes to help God's plan come to pass, sometimes without ever stopping to ask if it's actually what God desires We see somebody hurting, and so we immediately step in to help in the way that we think is best. And sometimes our best intentions of helping can result in disastrous unintended consequences when we try to help outside of God's will. We assume we know what God wants, but in our desire to help, we end up ruining things. There's unintended consequences. So we have Isaac, our just-get-it-done leader, Rebecca, our good-intentioned helper, and now we have Esau, our impassioned man. Esau, at first glance, it seems like he is the one that gets the raw deal out of all of this. He's supposed to be the blessed son, and while he's just out in the field hunting like his father told him, everything gets swept out from underneath him. But yet the author very carefully bookends our stories 
our story here with Esau and his marriages. Esau, at the beginning, is marrying these two women that bring pain, anguish into the lives of this family. And then at the end of the story, he still doesn't quite get it and still continues to follow his passion and marries again, a third wife. So not once, not twice, but three times he goes out and adds a wife to his harem. Because for him, that's enjoyable, that's what's good. And he does it, in the last sense, to make his father happy. But initially, he has no regard for his parents or for tradition. He goes against his parents' wishes, and right off the bat, the author says that these wives made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Esau doesn't seem to notice. It's not until the end of the story does it say that Esau, um, in 28, um, verse 6, it says that... Um, Verse 8, Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father. The very beginning of the story, the author says, they are not, it's not a good situation. Esau is oblivious to it all. He's enjoying life. He got what he wanted. And not until the end does he realize the pain that he's caused everyone else. His disregard for parents and the tradition of having them find a wife for him causes pain and further separates the parents, if Rebecca didn't like Esau before, she definitely doesn't now, now that he has two wives that have caused her to hate her life. Esau, as we've seen from the beginning, is a man of passion, and as a result, he creates division within the family that causes him to lose any blessing that he might have had. Because of his self-satisfying marriages, he alienated his mother, he brought bitterness to her, and this bitterness made it more difficult for her, for her, made it no more difficult for her to work with Jacob in deceiving Isaac and stealing the blessing. If we look at the blessing that Esau does receive in the end, it doesn't really seem like much of a blessing. Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high, and by the sword you shall live, and you will serve your brother. This is the exact opposite of Jacob's blessing, where it says Esau will be away from the fatness of the earth. Jacob was blessed to be dwelling among the fatness of the earth. Esau's away from the dew of heaven, and Jacob is right in the middle of the dew of heaven. And he, Esau is going to serve his brother while Jacob is ruling over his brothers. The only little glimmer of hope for Esau is that someday he will break his yoke, the yoke of his older brother, off of his neck. And that day will not come for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years until after Esau's descendants, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, finally break free from the rule of Israel. Esau not only loses out on his blessing, but he also begins to develop homicidal tendencies. He begins to plan and scheme to kill his brother. Rather than recognizing his role in the event, he perfectly fits into the role of the victim. Everything is everybody else's fault, and I am the one that was wronged, so I will get vengeance. 
the consequence of his sin, and that leads him further into deeper and deeper sin because he doesn't realize the role that he had to play. The same is true for us. When we fail to recognize our role in sinful behavior that creates division and separation, and we simply play the victim and refuse to accept any part in a divided relationship, it can allow us to spiral deeper and deeper into sin, into bitterness and hatred. In the case of Esau, thoughts of murder. In 1 John 1, 8, John says that if we think we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And this is true. Whenever there is a broken relationship, there is sin on both sides. We must recognize our sin, confess, and repent. Unless we turn out like Esau, a man of bitterness and anger. He is a wild and passionate man. Here's all the things that we see from him that demonstrate this character of Esau as the wild, passionate man. He marries two women, not just one, and eventually three. Both of these are not the women that he should have been married. He goes out and finds two things that he wants that he shouldn't have, and he gets them. We've already seen his impulsive decisions in the way that he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. Now, that birthright is different from the blessing, just to clarify the two. The birthright is the double inheritance that Esau should have received, and the blessing is the verbal passing on of God's blessing to Abraham, then to Isaac, and on to the next. So both of these are things that would typically go to the firstborn, and both of them were taken away from Esau. One, Esau actually traded away. Esau's immediate response to finding out that his blessing was stolen is to ask Isaac to revoke the blessing so Esau could get what he wanted. Rather than accepting things as they are, this impassioned man just says, well, take it back. Bless me anyway. Overturn what you said. Go against your word and give me what I want. Driven by his emotion, in the moment he allows bitterness and hatred to rule in his heart. And his murderous response splits the family. It's his response that says, I'm going to kill my brother, that forces Jacob to flee. And then in the end, he goes off and marries another woman, a third wife, trying to please his father and satisfy his own desires in the same point. Some of us are like Esau. We might not be red and hairy, but often we are driven by our emotions and the impulse of the moment. When things don't go our way and we don't get what we think we deserve, we respond erratically and we create division in our wake. When things don't go our way, watch out. That's when we start exacting justice. We make things come to pass. If you find yourself responding emotionally when things go awry, you might be like Esau. You might be the same way that you are, have a tendency towards diving deeper into sin rather than confessing your role in relational discord. All right, finally Jacob. The youngest one. Clearly he is at fault. He is the one that actually does everything wrong in this passage. Well, everybody does something wrong, but Jacob is the one who deceives. He is most clearly culpable. He deceives his own father and he lies about his identity to steal a blessing away from his brother. Not only this, 
but he invokes God's name in the evil that he does. When Isaac says, Jacob, how is it, or he thinks it's Esau, so Esau, how did you find this wild game so fast? How is it that you were so successful? Jacob responds, the Lord helped me. The Lord helped me deceive you. The Lord did not help Jacob. The Lord had nothing to do with what Jacob was pulling off. But yet Jacob brings the Lord's name into it to convince his father more. Sometimes in Christianity, we have a tendency of doing this. We can rather flippantly use God's name and say things like, God told me that we should do this. Or, God wants us to do this. Or, God is leading me to do this. All of these are very dangerous statements to make. I have heard people say things like, God told me I'm supposed to marry you. Or, God told me that we're supposed to you know, go out to this party that's clearly not of God, but God told me it was okay. As Christians, it's like the ultimate trump card in a conversation. If you're like going back and forth and you can be like, well, God said we should do it, then what is somebody going to say? No, he didn't. There's no arguing there. Um, So how do we understand God's role and how do we respond in talking about God and the action that he plays in the things that we're doing? First of all, yes, God does direct. God does lead. God does speak to us. And second, if God is leading, guiding, directing, speaking to us, then we should follow what he tells us to do. However, we are not God. We are fallen. We are broken. And sometimes we are very easily deceived. Sometimes we might hear something that we believe to be God, but it's just our own desires, or it's the enemy trying to deceive us and lead us astray. And so we must be very carefully to boldly proclaim, God told me to do this, to invoke the Lord's name on something. Even if you're positive that God is leading you in a direction, invoking God's name in in your calling should be done in absolute humility. Saying things like, I feel like God is leading me in this direction. Would you pray about this with me and see if this lines up with what you see and does it line up with scripture? I, I feel this direction, but I want to verify it. Can you come alongside and help? If you need to use God's name in order to accomplish what you feel like God has called you to do, it makes me wonder if God actually called you to do it in the first place. If it can't get done unless you say, God told me to, then is God really in it? Does he need your trump card on the situation in order to bring his will to pass? I think not. I think instead, we should humbly and very carefully use the Lord's name when we're talking about things that he is guiding and directing us in. Isaac, or Jacob, is nowhere near that. He just blatantly says... God helped me. And he uses God's name as a shield to protect him from the deception. As a result of Jacob's lies, he lives the life of the fleer. His consequence is perhaps the most severe. He is forced for the rest of his life to be on the run. He has to leave his family. He will never see his mother again. The next time he sees his father that we have record of is on his deathbed, actually after he's died when he's being buried. As opposed to the rest of these patriarchs, 
who, for the most part, are pretty well settled. Abraham moves from Ur to Canaan and dwells in Canaan. Isaac spends his whole life in Canaan. Jacob goes from Canaan to Ur, spends 20 years in Ur, comes back to Canaan for 40 years, and then spends the last 17 years of his life in Egypt. He is constantly moving around. And he never sees his mother again. He experiences full well the consequence of his action. Even when he leaves, he leaves as a man with nothing. He doesn't go away with great riches. He doesn't receive that double portion birthright until later. He goes and comes to Laban's house as just a hired hand. That's all he can be. And his legacy, his family was one of great riches. His father was one of the most revered, wealthy men in the region. And he has to go and work as a hired hand in order to make a living. If Isaac was the just-get-it-done leader, Rebecca, the kind, well-intentioned helper, and Esau, the impassioned man, then Jacob is the cunning, conniving deceiver. We've already seen that he's mastered the art of the deal in his trade with Esau. And even though it was Rebecca's idea to deceive Isaac, Jacob works out the details and says, no, my skin's smooth, that won't work out, we need to kind of fine-tune these things. Jacob is a planning, careful man. He's even clever in his conversation with Isaac. He invokes the name of the Lord. And then after he finds out that Isaac is a little bit on the fence, he thinks it might be Jacob, and he says, your voice sounds like my son Jacob. After that, Jacob speaks only one word. Me. When um, Isaac asks, are you my son, Esau, he says, I am, which in Hebrew is just the word ani, me. He doesn't speak because he knows his voice is how he's going to get found out. He is very clever. In fact, I would say that Jacob trusts God as long as Jacob can find a way to figure it out. And some of us are like Jacob. We have to figure things out. We have to have a plan. We have to have a way that we're going to get things done. And we often succeed in creating a plan and executing that plan down to the fine, minute detail. But rarely do we actually rely on God. There's a blessing out there to be had, and you just got to figure out how to get it. That is our mantra. I am one of those people. This is my camp. I like to plan and figure things out, and the Lord has been working on my heart of scheming um, so that I am no longer a man who schemes to get what I want. Um, Whether we're like Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, or Jacob, we're all culpable for trying to get our own blessings on our own terms. And we all reap the consequences. But if we are going to live a Christ-centered life like we pray and have Christ-centered households that aren't divided like the house of Isaac and Rebekah, we must be like Christ. So if our temptation is to be like Isaac, deciding what we want, when we want, how we want it, we must see the example of Christ, when he took on the form of a servant. In fact, in Philippians it says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who did not regard equality with God something to be had, but humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. If your temptation is to be like Isaac and get what you want when you want it, pray and ask God, how can I serve others? Place yourself in the position of service. And model Christ asking what others need and how you can be a servant to them. 
Now, if your temptation is to be like Rebecca, being a servant is not the hard part. The hard part is trying to help God when he seems to be missing something. And so we must follow the example that Christ sent by doing only what the Father told him. In John 5.19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Pray. Ask the Lord in these circumstances, what does he want you to do? How does he want you to help? Rather than just springing into action and trying to alleviate others' grief, others' pain, because that makes you feel better. Ask the Lord, what is he actually wanting you to do in this circumstance? Now, if the temptation is to be like Esau, responding in bitterness, anger, rage, when things don't go the way that you want, we have Christ's example. When he was beaten, mocked, scorned, yet he forgave those who crucified him. So follow Christ's example and forgive those who have hurt you. Recognize your fault. Jesus didn't have any fault, but you do. Recognize your fault. Confess and then forgive those who have hurt you. If the temptation is to be like Jacob, cunning and conniving to get what you want, always working the angles and figuring out how to get God's blessing, take to heart the words of Christ in the garden when he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Pray for God to work his will in your life and stop trying to figure everything out on your own. I am preaching this to myself right now and to you. Trust God that he will take care of you and that you don't have to figure everything out.